0: This is Downtown Lowdown with Downtown Halifax Business Commission.
1: Welcome to Episode 36 of Downtown Lowdown with Downtown Halifax Business Commission, recorded on October 29th, 2020. This is where you can find out all you need or want to know about Downtown Halifax. I'm Ivy Ho, Director of Communications.
2: And I'm Alana McDonald-Mills, Director of Marketing. We are your hosts for Downtown Lowdown. We'll be giving you the lowdown on what's new in business, events, and issues that affect downtown. We also talk to key individuals that help to make Downtown Halifax better.
1: On this episode, Paul McKinnon, CEO of Downtown Halifax Business Commission, is back with some news on the Canada United Small Business Relief Fund and the commercial property tax relief for hotels, motels, and inns. We also have directors from the Nova Scotia Health Authority regarding international students. On BizBuzz, we have business updates and milestones, a rundown on upcoming events in Downtown Halifax, and a quick overview of Develop Nova Scotia's Evergreen Festival. But first,
2: Ivy and Paul are talking to Jim Cormier, the Atlantic Director, Government Relations with Retail Council of Canada. Jim will be discussing how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected the retail sector and how local retail businesses have responded and adapted.
1: As the voice of retail in Canada since 1963, Retail Council of Canada represents 45,000 independent, regional, national, mass and specialty retail businesses and online merchants in general merchandise, drug and grocery. Their mission is to advance the interests of the retail industry through effective advocacy, communications and education. They have a passion for small, mid and large size retailers across Canada and are proud to represent the country's largest private sector employer, supporting over 2 million Canadians and contributing to the economic health and well-being of our communities from coast to coast. They have offices in Vancouver, Winnipeg, Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal and Halifax. Jim Cormier is the Atlantic Director Government Relations with Retail Council of Canada. Welcome to Downtown Lowdown, Jim. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us. And we also have Paul McKinnon, CEO of Downtown Halifax Business Commission, who will be joining in on the conversation. Uh, Before we uh, talk about the retail sector in general, uh, let's talk about the Retail Council of Canada. Uh, Pre-pandemic, I know things have changed since uh, the pandemic started, um, but what were the organization's priorities and goals um, and programs?
3: Sure. Well, our goal is always, as any, any industry association, is to represent the industry in the best light possible. Uh, my boss uh, often refers uh, to it as for retailers of all sizes, uh, being their 411 and their 911. And uh, you know, it's it's true of our association as it is for many others that uh, you know we do what we can to uh, advance the interests of the retail sector with governments, in particular. Um, about 80 to 90 percent of what I do is government relations. Uh, but also, you know, ed- uh, providing educational programs to our members. Uh, we have, you know, various programs that uh, you know membership has its benefits, where there's different things for them that uh, that they can access, and you know we do member events as well, pre-pandemic. Uh, but yeah, the, here in in a regional office like this one, uh, representing all of Atlantic Canada, vast majority is uh, working with governments, advancing the interests of the sector and. Uh, You know, I don't have to do it as much now, but when I started nine years ago educating government about the retail sector, uh, not a lot of knowledge as to what the retail sector really is compared to what it was perceived to be. So, you know, we've, uh, we've come a long way in that regard as well.
1: So, with so many organizations in the pandemic, they've had to pivot um, so much. That's the word of the, the year. How has your organization pivoted and changed and adapted since the pandemic started in Nova Scotia?
3: Well, you know, for the organization itself, the uh, vast majority of us are now working from home. Uh, we do have a skeleton crew at our head office in Toronto that are still going into the office on a daily basis, but... Uh, you know, obviously, it's very different for them now, again, being a one person office here, um, it wasn't that big of a transition for me, but uh, you know, I guess more importantly, it's been a huge transition for all of our members uh, where you know the retail sector, thankfully, in Nova Scotia, they were never forced to close. Um, you know Nova Scotia was one of the few provinces that uh, did not close the retail sector down, and so we appreciate that. Uh, that said, you know many of them were forced to close, making their own decisions. You know, just there there wasn't any customer traffic. Uh, some of them just out of concern for their employees and their customers. They shut down for periods of time. So, you know, we've seen a tremendous amount of transition in that respect. Um, some of them moving into different product lines, different ways of selling. You know, the biggest example would be a lot more of them trying to move uh, to at least uh, uh, an e-commerce, if not e-commerce, then at least to a presence online, in some cases for the very first time, to uh, to try and, uh, generate business that way so you know you've seen that but you've also seen companies pivot around to you know uh, working with their suppliers to manufacture different types of products uh, you've seen phenomenal efforts on behalf of many of my members in uh, donating products to people in need during this point in time uh, that's been uh, it's been heartwarming to see you know some of the bigger retailers in the world that Sometimes, uh, are perceived in a negative light, you know, seeing what they've done to, uh, to help frontline workers and, uh, to donate, uh, apparel to, uh, to those in need. It's, it's been heartwarming in that respect, but then of course you also see the, the, uh, devastating side of more and more of them that, you know, you know, as well as I do that have been filing for bankruptcy as well. So it's, uh, it's still a tough time for the retail sector, but, uh, you know, as always, they, uh, they're very nimble they have to be to be in this uh, ultra competitive sector of the economy and uh you know, they'll they'll continue to do so. Um, And pivoting on a dime is what they're used to.
1: So there is no doubt that during the height of the pandemic, retail was one of the hardest hit sectors. Um, You mentioned some of the challenges uh, that the sector uh, experienced during the pandemic. Can you tell us, like, the biggest challenges? Like, if you had to, you know, really talk about, you know, one of the biggest challenges that the sector had to deal with and got through or is dealing with uh, at the moment.
3: During the initial weeks and months of the pandemic, you could – Hive the retail sector off into uh, two categories, and this is speaking more nationally. <clears throat> there were those that were deemed essential and those that were not. Um, those that were deemed essential, for the most part, they did very well as far as the bottom line. That said, they had to deal with extreme challenges of uh, I'm expected to be open nonstop. Think of the grocery sector, for instance. I have to hire more staff immediately. Uh, I'm dealing with existing staff that, you know, and we're talking early days of the pandemic where people were still trying to educate themselves, uh, staff that were afraid to go to work, um, having to quickly access PPE, uh, change your complete floor design around, <clears throat> dealing with amazingly variable supply chain problems that made it difficult to get product that was usually very easy to access. So that's, that's on the side of those that were doing really well. Um, and without even getting into all of the issues of dealing with uh, a very skittish buying public. Then you had the uh, the more depressing side of it, which was those in the sect- sectors of retail that were closed down. Again, didn't happen completely here in Nova Scotia, but it may as well have uh, for certain uh, parts of the retail sector, apparel in particular. Um, not only were they trying to fend off Extreme competition from international e-retailers, they were now dealing with a situation where they were paying huge rents and they weren't really open uh, or nobody was coming and uh, still dealing with um, the competition from those e-retailers that was then growing and growing as people were legitimately scared to, uh, to leave their homes so when they were needing to buy certain products uh they were they were looking to some of those e retailers and click click collect or mm-hmm. click click have it show up on your doorstep that's right um so that's made it really difficult for those retailers um it's uh it's been really challenging and and that part hasn't changed mm-hmm. you know we you look at the stats can numbers over the last few months where i get a lot of media um questions of well you know, the retail sector is fine now. They've really rebounded. Well, no, they haven't. Uh, certain parts of the, the retail sector have rebounded amazingly well, but there are others that are still um, on the verge of collapse. And the apparel retail sector is one of those areas where if things don't turn around soon, y- you'll see more stories of uh, even large uh, apparel retailers going under. Mm-hmm. And that's that's too bad.
1: You mentioned, you know, retailers, especially clothing retailers, um, the non-essential retailers, I guess, or deemed non-essential retailers were struggling with rent. Uh, so there were some government, provincial, federal um, economic relief programs that were introduced and rolled out throughout the pandemic. How was the retail sector... Um, Responding to those uh, those programs, were they useful? Were they, were there any shortfalls? And sure. Paul, you may have some insight on this as well, um, so you can jump in whenever.
3: Yeah. Well, overall, I'd like to be positive about it, in that everybody was in the same situation where we were dealing with we were in uncharted territory, uh, including governments, and uh, trying to roll out as many as many useful programs as quickly as possible. Um, at light speed, which government normally doesn't do, uh, it was really challenging for them as well. So overall, you know, coming out with CERB was, uh, was a real lifeline for <coughs> retail employees, uh, as well as the retailers, uh, that were, that were shuttered during that time. Um, when you were able to get into, uh, some of the, like the, uh, Kennedy Emergency Wage Subsidy, that was a good one as well. Um, and, you know, even the rent subsidies, um, the, what, was, what did they called? The SECRA, yes, Canada CICRA. Emergency Commercial Rent Assistance. Sorry, I had to think about it for a moment. There's lots of success stories involved in SECRA. The trouble was over and over again, except for every positive story that you heard, you, you heard as many, if not more, of uh, situations where you had a retailer just wringing their hands, saying, my landlord just isn't interested in applying for this program. And uh, you know, it took a joint effort from industry associations across Canada to get that point across to government. That in in theory your program is fine, but uh, you know, and we understood the reasons why they weren't sending the money directly to the tenant. But it it just it couldn't be stressed enough that there was a massive gap there, and uh, and retailers just couldn't wait. So. Now that they have some programs that are bringing more money directly to the tenant, uh, that's a positive step forward. Um, still doesn't mean that challenges don't remain. But, uh, you know, again, overall, I, I I don't want to be overly critical of the federal government response to this. You know, and even here in the province, you know, they obviously a small province, they have more limited means to come out with uh, assistance programs. Um, you know, they did come out with some. You know, some of them retail didn't really uh we didn't fit uh, under some of the criteria because, you know, in some res- respects, our businesses were open. doesn't mean they were doing well, but they were open. And, you know, we had to look at it with a larger world view too, that even though some of our folks are hurting, there are others hurting more than we are. So, you know, overall, I, I don't want to cast uh, any negative light on either level of government. Um, you know, they they were dealing with, uh, with a crisis situation, and, you know, overall, they were able to uh, – Do what they could.
0: I want to get your perspective. You mentioned this earlier, but one of the things that I find interesting—I think everyone does—because everyone's a shopper, so everyone thinks they're an expert in retail or has an opinion on it. But you know, there's a sense, obviously, that you know, there's more and more of a shift from bricks and mortar retail shops to to online shopping. I think most people are actually surprised at how low the overall percentage of online shopping still is, but it's, it's growing every year, and I think it's taken a leap forward with COVID. So one of the things that I know various governments have done in various organizations is try to encourage, you know, bricks and mortar retail to get, you know, an online presence, do do omni-channel marketing, all these types of things. Um, so and by, my, by my account, there's a lot of resources available. So uh, we as an organization provided a grant to get uh, businesses online, which which actually was taken up quite well. Uh, I know NSBI locally has a program like that. There's a new federal program which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Um, uh, Halifax Partnership has just launched a new programs. So there seems like there's no uh, there's no lack of those kinds of programs, uh, some of them don't seem to be even as well-subscribed as maybe you think they might be. So I guess from your perspective, how is, that, how is that going you know, nationally or even provincially in terms of getting more retailers online and, and understanding the omni-channel uh, way of, of selling things? Uh, and what more, mm-hmm. what, I guess, what more could we do as an, as an association? What more could government do to, to really help that transition along?
3: Sure. It's always tough, especially with small retail. Just same as any any small business uh, they spend so much of their time just trying to survive that it's it's often hard to get their attention to say, You know, look over here, this is something you could do proactively to help you down the road um, it's It's been interesting because of course, for a number of years you know, again i've been I've been on board with r c c now <coughs> excuse me with r c c now for nine years, and in the first three to four years. Every conference we went to, all we ever heard of was, okay, uh, bricks-and-mortar retail is dead. Uh, if you're not online, you're you're nowhere. Um, everything's going to move that way, and the most you'll have left are showrooms, uh, you know, the odd small showroom, small space, and uh, the rest just a warehouse. That didn't happen. Um, it happened to a small extent. But what we found out is that Canadians generally like bricks-and-mortar, they always have. We didn't take to uh, e-commerce to the same extent that they have in the U.S. or in other countries. So it was interesting to see. It, it didn't mean that e-commerce wasn't important. It's vitally important. And the marriage between the two, you know, your, your omni-channel, um, you know, you had to have it all. And uh, But what we were finding over the last three, four years is that there was a big comeback for bricks and mortar. People wanted the retail experience. They didn't want something boring, but if you, you found that retailers were really upping their game, where yes, they were investing in their in a website and in uh, mobile tech, but at the same time they were also making it really fun and exciting to come into their stores and touch and feel, and you were seeing these concepts that were this, that was the store of the future five years ago. Then four years ago they were in in place, which you know was fast for uh, for that level of uh, of change point being is, as people were starting to fall in love with bricks and mortar again, that's when the pandemic hit. And so some of them were caught flat-footed. And they shouldn't have been, but they were. And so, as you said, um, you saw e-commerce upping to from about 2% of overall retail sales to maybe 5 but. It's worse than that because we we honestly don't believe those Statscan numbers because Statscan does not take into account Amazon. You're, you're missing you're missing the elephant big, in the room, yeah, big retailer. Yeah. yeah. And they don't take into account Wayfair. Um, you know, and to be fair, they they do take into account some folks that sell on Amazon, but they don't take into account Amazon. So they're missing huge aspects of it. Our numbers, we seem to feel that uh Online has grown to over ten percent now and so it's it's absolutely enormous and it's growing every every month every year so you know it, the uh it, it's just it becomes that much more important that you know I, I mentioned even to some of our smallest independent retailers is you really you have to have something. You can have the best in-store experience going, and you know all of your customers by name. People love and appreciate that, but you have to have at least a Facebook site, mm-hmm. something that can show a picture or, or pictures of some of the products you offer or talking about uh, some upcoming sale that you might have.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you uh, find that people do browse and uh, online first and then go into the bricks and mortar? Like they do the research online first before taking that trip.
3: Yeah, more and more, yeah. more and more. And it's generational as well, mm-hmm. but... Uh, The the generations that are doing that, it's getting larger and larger. Uh You know, even people my age, I'm, you know, getting into my upper 40s, we're in that demographic as well, where we're looking at products online first before determining whether or not we're going in store. So you're seeing a different shopper uh, more and more all the time, even pre pandemic, that less people coming in to browse, more people coming in. Well, I'm here for a reason. So, you know, maybe your foot traffic is. Less, but your conversion rates are higher uh, because people are coming in with a purpose, but boy, you better be ready to serve them when they get there because they also know before they came in that well, if I can't get it here, I know I can get it at this place down the street and uh, so it's it's really changed the way retailers do business now, of course, with the pandemic it's uh, it's flipped everything around where now it's uh you're seeing even independent retailers trying to invest a little bit more in their in their online offerings, even if it is a Facebook site, you're seeing more and more of them trying to uh, entice skittish customers to say, well, if you're not um, completely comfortable in coming into store, we could work with you uh, to figure out what it is you want. We can do curbside pickup. Some are even going so far, small independence, as delivering to their homes. Um, that can get into a dangerous uh, precedent for them because it's expensive to do that. But uh, you're seeing more and more of that because, you know, depending on the product category, some of them are really at a point of desperation where we have to try something.
1: Mm -hmm. So, yeah, everything has flipped around, as you mentioned. Um, And we talked a lot about struggles and and challenges. Um, Can you think of any success stories that you want to talk about?
3: Sure. Again, it depends on, uh, you know, what uh, what the definitions of success would be, um, when it comes to the large retailers, you know, the ones that weren't just hanging on by a thread, um, you know, that were comfortable enough that despite the, the body blows that they've taken over the course of the pandemic, they're still making it through. It's been amazing to see the corporate social responsibility side um, still um, playing a large role. You know, they could just go into survival mode, but you're seeing them take uh, steps to reduce their environmental footprint. You're seeing them donate to different causes. Um, you're seeing them uh, you know, revamp some of their human resources policies, you know, which is stuff that never gets reported, and, and rightly so, uh, just to be that much more understanding of what's happening in, in the home lives of their employees over the course of a pandemic. Um, you know, and these are, in, cases, in many cases, big retailers. You know, again, at times, sometimes rightly so, most of the time not so rightly so, they they do have a reputation uh, for, you know, being the big corporate entity that's only worried about the bottom line. Well, you know, you see more and more that, uh, you know, they, they do care about their, their employees and they care about their communities, um, you know, their neighbors uh, in this respect too because many of them, they do, they live and they work, uh, you know, within all of these communities. And so it's it's been really great to see that um as far as more concrete examples you know seeing some retailers that have production as well uh flipping their production lines to uh to make ppe uh to make uh, um
1: hand garments, sanitizer hand
3: sanitizer yeah, yeah like the, uh, the the gowns worst. that uh, that you know are being worn in certain uh, certain sectors as well um seeing people flip very quickly into you know i was we, we, uh, we're affiliated with the Sobe School of Business. And, uh, you know, so I, I do want to footnote them on this, um, one that they've talked about, which is uh, uh, a lingerie retailer that uh, quickly flipped over. They, they made an investment in the middle of the pandemic to allow people to do virtual fittings because people weren't coming into store. And, uh, you know, that, you know, we're not talking about the, the large uh, Lingerie retailers. We're talking about, you know, Small this was a smaller retailer. one that mm-hmm. that made this type of an investment. Whether it works in the end or not, who knows? But just showing that they've been willing to do what it takes to try and survive. So, right. yeah, it's been uh, it's been impressive to see what uh, what a lot of them have been uh, been able to do, or at least try to do, in the midst of the pandemic.
1: Right, Paul. Can you think of any any downtown uh, businesses that sh- like success stories?
3: Well, one that we had earlier on,
0: on our podcast, and we talked to uh, Mimi uh, at The Loop. And mm-hmm. As soon as you were talking, she, was, she had no online presence at all. And it, and it really kind of... Uh flipped over for her where, you know, and really at the height of the pandemic, what she described was she suddenly she had a very expensive, you know, Barrington Street, where, small warehouse where she was kind of showcasing, you know, her wares in the window, but all of her business had uh, moved online at that point. Yeah. And she said it actually was going much better than she expected. She was, you know, again, like most retailers back in March, April was just hoping to survive for a couple of months. Uh, you know, at the time there was no rent relief or anything, uh, but but she said she was, she, she was pleasantly surprised at, at how well that transition went. And, and again, that's a situation where, you know, that store is now open again. And this, you know, this is still a great experience to go in, but but she's doing both now, and, and, uh-huh. and we'll kind of never go about just the one, so right. um, there's there's one off the top of my head. Yeah,
1: I am really impressed by the generosity of some of our catering companies downtown as well, Rudy's and Scanway, they, mm-hmm. they donated to food banks uh, during the height of the pandemic, so you know, that, those are great stories, like no, not necessarily success stories, but it really shows that they do care about the community, and you know, of course, it's good public relations too, like if they're in the news talking about what they're doing for the community that's great for them like it's just it will keep uh, them top of mind for potential customers in the future.
3: Yeah and grocery retailers you know just they do that every day. Yeah. Um, You know in different stores across Canada donating to frontline workers um, Mm -hmm. you know it's it's always very impressive to see Um, in the midst of it all of course other aspects of life continue and uh, you know for the nine years I've been involved Every year, unfortunately, uh, we deal with uh, responding to disasters. Mm-hmm. Uh, just here in Atlantic Canada, whether it be droughts or hurricanes or you know, loss of life, where you know, within a community where um, relief is needed, and uh, every time, it's uh, the Red Cross knows to call us because our members respond. And just yesterday, uh, Western Newfoundland, uh, up in the Gros Morne area, there was. Uh, a massive car accident where, um, without getting too much into the details, the, the car ended up in the water supply. So all of a sudden you have a community in the middle of, I don't want to say the middle of nowhere, but you know, if you think of the Gros Moran area, especially mm-hmm. beyond the tourist season, pretty remote, um, community that had no access to water. So within a matter of an hour, <clears throat> we had trucks going up to that community with all the water they need. um, you know, we're able to get credit as RCC for our actions in that, but it's, it only works if we have grocery retailers that stand up and say, yep, yeah. and don't worry about the bill. You know, so these things happen on a regular basis, and, and that's something that's obviously not pandemic-related, but they happen over and over again, and it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's heartening to see that, uh, you know, these are big, big companies that, uh, that also they do a lot when it comes to helping their communities
1: yeah uh, yeah if anything with the pandemic in particular that it has shown that uh, government organizations uh, retail you know all the different business sectors can mobilize pretty quickly uh, to respond to you know emergency situations uh, so you know that brings me to some you know learnings uh, you know from the pandemic and some trends that can be carried over through the hopefully the end of the pandemic um, but beyond you know what are the, some of the things that you think will be kind of like the um, the legacy of this
3: yeah well it's something we've been educating our members about for years and uh, it's never become more important than do- since the pandemic is the uh, the integration between your uh, mobile commerce and uh, and bricks and mortar you can't just have one anymore um, and you can't, especially for the mid to large ones, you can't just have an average presence online. You need to beef up your ability to be able to do a transaction online. Um, you need to be able to, um, be as flexible as possible in ensuring that you can get that conversion with your customer. And, uh, you know it's never become more important. you you just you look at that like I mentioned that it's over ten percent now of uh, retail sales in our opinion that are that have moved online. so that's a huge jump. and uh, you know that's in many respects going to companies that all due respect to them. They're great retailers, but they do not have a presence here. They do not employ people here. Um, in some respects, they leave their packaging behind, and existing retailers are paying for that um, in provinces where, you know, it's industry that's responsible for the packaging. Again, it's it's not a shot against those retailers. It's just the point being is that you need to be able to compete at least on a certain level with those folks so that then it makes it that much easier for a person like myself to be able to make the argument that, yep, they offer a great product, but let's support the ones that are employing people, employing your neighbors that are paying taxes, that are contributing to the local sports team and the local theater.
1: So any last thoughts or other thoughts on uh, on the retail sector during this time?
3: Same as every other year, the end of November we get into Black Friday. That is traditionally the time of year where most retailers are hopefully able to go into the black for the year. Uh, It takes them a full 11 months uh, to try uh, to get themselves to a point where they're about to turn a profit. So then, of course, the remaining month of the year is exceedingly important. This is going to be a tougher year than any other. We understand that, that people have potentially less disposable income. They still might be skittish about going out and doing much of anything, but it's never been important, more important than this year for Nova Scotians to get out and support the retailers in their local community small independents, mid-sized, up to the largest ones in the world, as I mentioned. They employ your friends and neighbours. They pay taxes here. They contribute to the community. They're all challenged. Uh, So we'd encourage everybody to get out, and if they can, to support those retailers, uh, especially over the next couple of months.
1: Yeah, that's always been the Downtown Halifax Business Commission's message is to get out there and support uh, downtown businesses Mm -hmm. if you can if you're able to well thank you jim really appreciate your time
3: thank you anytime
1: we were talking with jim cormier atlantic director government relations with retail council of canada Retail Council of Canada represents 45,000 independent regional, national, mass, and specialty retail businesses and online merchants in general merchandise, drug, and grocery. For more information on Retail Council of Canada and COVID-19 resources for retail, visit retailcouncil.org. Paul McKinnon, CEO of Downtown Halifax Business Commission, was also part of that conversation. And while we still have Paul McKinnon, CEO of Downtown Halifax Business Commission here, he's going to be updating us on the Canada United Small Business Relief Fund and commercial property tax relief for hotels, motels, and inns. So take it away, Paul.
0: Thanks, Ivy. Uh, I always like to be able to share uh, good news and uh, opportunities uh, for the members. So I've got a couple here um, that are fairly new. So one is a new federal program called the Canada United Small Business Relief Fund. Uh, and essentially, it's, it's very similar to uh, a grant program that the province um, uh, did as well, uh, which which we had pushed for as an organization, um, which is a $5,000 grant uh, for COVID-related costs. So these can be, you know, things like you know physical changes you had to make uh, to your to your business. It also can be used for website or e-commerce um, applications upgrades and new websites, uh, as we're talking about with Jim. So uh, and it is a grant program. It's not a it's not a loan program. So that's uh, it's cash uh, available to businesses. Uh, they can demonstrate the need. So again, federal program, it's fairly new, so we would encourage businesses to look into that. Uh, And then the other program, which is one that we've uh, been hoping that's going to come along, it's it's really a more targeted, specific program uh, uh, looking at tourism accommodations here in the province. So we know that, um, you know, Tourist operators that, that run accommodations have been hit particularly hard this tourism season, and even worse in, in the urban core of downtown Halifax. Um, you know, We were looking at, I think around the province, the average w- uh, for, for occupancy rates in a lot of hotels was around 40%, 35%, 40%. Uh, in, in downtown Halifax, it was even much lower than that, it was more like 25%. So you know, tourism operators really took a hit, uh, and a lot of these uh, hotels in particular in, in downtown Halifax, they're pretty large establishments, uh, and so they're facing a pretty hefty tax bill. Uh, this year, municipal tax bill. Uh, the city is not able to make any sort of special deals or waive those bills are not allowed uh, under the current um, jurisdiction under the province. So. So we and and groups like the Hotel Association and and other tourism-related groups have been advocating for some sort of special program to deal with that issue. Uh, As a good example, um, one local, uh, I should say local, one significant downtown hotel, I mean their tax bill this year was going to be more than what their entire revenues uh, for the year so far were. And so the province recognizing a special need for this particular class um, of of businesses is offering a new um, uh, tax relief program. Uh, So it was just announced uh, on Thursday uh, and so the details are Are now rolling out, um, but it is a a relief of up to twenty five percent of your municipal tax bill. So it is a provincial program. Obviously, we're we're interested in uh, in businesses downtown, but it will roll out across the entire province. And there's some criteria, um, uh, but essentially any any operator that has more than five rooms. Uh, is, is classified as a, as a commercial um, uh, hotel operation so you know obviously all the hotels in downtown Halifax would apply so uh, we're excited about that program it, it did really come on the heels of some criticism the province got um, last week when they when they launched a, a tailored program for, for some of the larger resorts uh, I know some of the tourism operators were kind of upset uh, about that but I think it's what it looks like is it is that you know these much more specific tailored programs which frankly I think is what we need that's uh, more of a scalpel approach um, than a hammer approach at this point is looking at some of the specific Needs of sectors and tailoring programs to them. So we're we're certainly excited on behalf of our downtown hotels to hear about this program. So we'll be spreading the word on that and, and encouraging them to apply, which uh, which will offer at least some relief uh, for this year's tax bill, which is due actually um, well at the end of October. So it's uh, the the bills are coming due, and uh, and so they can use some of that uh, that rebate.
1: So people can. Check uh, the Nova .com website for more details when when it does roll out. It's just a uh, media release at the moment.
0: It's just a media release at the moment. We, we think it's coming soon, and so that is that is the, one of the challenges that hotel operators still have to pay their tax bill now, uh, and then they can get that rebate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're only eligible if you've paid your taxes. So right. uh, now, luckily, there are there are other um, you know, credit programs that are available. So if, there's, if it's a cash flow issue, it, sh- it still should all kind of work out in the wash. But um, yes, I'm sure um, all our hotel operators will be checking that website out mm-hmm. and will will certainly be sharing that on, on social media directly with our, our members when that becomes available.
1: Yeah, and we'll also link to it from our website uh, when the details are out, so downtownhalifax.ca slash coronavirus. Well, thank you, Paul. All right, thank you. We were talking to Paul McKinnon, CEO of Downtown Halifax Business Commission. He gave us updates on the Canada United Small Business Relief Fund and commercial property tax relief for hotels, motels, and inns. As always, Downtown Halifax Business Commission strives to provide the latest COVID-19 related information as the province revises restrictions. DHBC continues to follow directives of the Nova Scotia Health Authority. Check DHBC's main COVID resource page for businesses and for the public at downtownhalifax.ca slash COVID-19. Nova Scotia will resume welcoming international students to its post-secondary institutions in early November with almost two dozen institutions ready with additional COVID-19 precautions. Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada maintains a list of designated learning institutions approved by their province or territory to receive international students. Nova Scotia institutions are now on their list. To ensure the safe transition of international students to Nova Scotia, there are strict public health protocols in place. These include all international students arriving to Nova Scotia from another country must quarantine for 14 days. Designated learning institutions such as universities and language schools are required to have oversight responsibility for international students during their quarantine, whether on or off campus. Institutions must provide or arrange quarantine accommodations and suitable transportation for international students from the airport as well as ensure meals and other supports are provided to students during their quarantine period. Institutions must provide students with information on health and travel requirements before they arrive in Canada to ensure they are fully prepared to meet the requirements. International students arriving to Nova Scotia from outside the Atlantic bubble must complete the Nova Scotia safe check-in form prior to their arrival. International post-secondary students who play a vital role in Nova Scotia's social and economic well-being are expected to begin arriving over the next few months. For more information and other notices, see the Nova Scotia Health Authority website at novascotia.ca slash coronavirus.
3: And now for BizBuzz.
1: And once again,
2: it's time for BizBuzz, the part of the podcast where we fill you in on all the exciting stuff happening in downtown Halifax. Tori McLeod, our marketing and communications coordinator, is here with me today along with Ivy. Thanks for joining me, Tori and Ivy.
1: Thanks. Hello.
2: So this week on BizBuzz, Tori has a rundown of business milestones and updates, and I'm going to tell you about what events are coming up in downtown Halifax. And then it's time to talk about the holidays. Now that it's November, it's time to start thinking about and planning for the holidays. And to start, I have some suggestions for those of you looking to book private rooms and spaces for holiday dinners and small scale staff parties. And I'm going to fill you in on the Evergreen Festival and we'll finish up by talking about shopping under the stars. So Tori, let's start with you. What business milestones and updates do you have for us this episode?
4: Happy birthday to Obadi Wine Bar. They celebrated 10 years in downtown Halifax last week. Obadi is located at 1600 Barrington Street and you can learn more about them by visiting Oblady.ca. a new restaurant hermitage is now open in the alexander at 1460 lower water street their motto is eat drink rest which sounds good to me and hermitage is owned by the same team that brought you julep kitchen and cocktails to downtown halifax you can check out their menu at hermitagehfx.com and also just opening in the alexander on lower water street is liquid gold tasting bar and all things olive This is their seventh location, and we are excited to have them in downtown Halifax. Stop in to check out their wide selection of olive oil, truffle oil, balsamic vinegars, and more. Visit allthingsolive.ca for more information. Sake has now opened in the Centennial Building at 1645 Granville Street. This restaurant can host up to 186 people, physical distancing included, and has a beautiful replica of a cherry tree made by a local artist. Visit sakehalifax.com or follow at sakehalifax on Instagram for more information. Ivory Sheep Clothing Inc. is opening on November 13th in Bishop's Landing. They will bring fearless fashion to Halifax for people who want to stand out in a crowd. Take a peek at their new website at ivorysheep.com. Join the Old Apothecary After Dark on Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays from 5 to 10 p.m. for delicious eats and treats. The Old Apothecary is located in the Brewery Market at 1496 Lower Water Street. For their menu, visit their website, theoldapothecary.com slash
2: afterdark. Thanks, Tori. So let's talk events. Here are some upcoming events in downtown Halifax to look forward to. The Discovery Center has opened a new exhibit called Joy Lab. This new exhibit explores how your surroundings can spark joy in your life, which is what everyone needs right now. The Discovery Center is open Thursday to Sunday from 9 a.m. to noon and 1 to 4 p.m. Visitors are asked to purchase their admission tickets and book their time slot online before arriving at the center. And they also have adult and teen-only nights for this exhibit. Discovery After Dark, Joy Lab, takes place every Friday night from 6 to 9:15 p.m., Tickets are $12 plus HST, and you must be 16 plus to attend Discovery After Dark. For more information on Joy Lab and Discovery After Dark, visit thediscoverycenter.ca. And events are back at the Halifax Convention Center. Alan Doyle and the Beautiful Band is playing four shows at the center on November 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th. The first three shows are sold out, but there are still some tables left for the November 8th show. Neon Dreams is playing two shows at the Halifax Convention Center on November 12th and 13th. The November 13th show is sold out, but there are still tables left for the November 12th show. For both shows, you either buy tables of four or six, and you stay at your tables for the duration of the show with table service for drinks. You can visit sonicconcerts.com for more information and to purchase tickets. The Halifax Marriott Harborfront Hotel is also hosting live music shows again. Dave Sampson is playing on November 12th, 13th, and 14th, and there are still tickets left for the November 12th show. Like the Halifax Convention Center, you can only purchase tickets by the table and there are options for 4 to 10 people tables while quantities last. Tickets are $30 per ticket and you can pre-order your drinks to your table when you purchase your tickets. so You can show up and have your table all ready to go for the night. They also have discounted hotel room rates with purchase of tickets. For more information, you have to email marley.tomes at Marriott.com, and that's Marley, M-A-R-L-E-E dot T-O-M-E-S at Marriott.com. And Ivy, do you want to talk about the Downtown Halifax Live concerts?
1: Sure. So as we mentioned last week, Downtown Halifax Live is a new virtual and in-person concert series by Downtown Halifax Business Commission in partnership with Music Nova Scotia and Spider Video. You can watch the shows in person or you can live stream them from the comfort of your own home on Downtown Halifax's Facebook and YouTube channels. There are two shows coming up. The first is taking place this Saturday, November 7th at the Carlton. That's Tevin Tynes Trio. Uh, They are playing at 8 p.m. to 11.30 p.m., or you can watch the live stream from 8 to 9 p.m. And on Sunday, November 15th, you can join Chance of Ecstasy, an in-person curtain at Dralla Books and Gifts. It is taking place from 3 to 5 p.m. at Drala, which is located at 1567 Grafton Street and is being live-streamed on our Facebook and YouTube pages from 4 to 5 p.m. So on Facebook Live, it'll be on our Facebook page, Downtown Halifax, and the YouTube channel is DHBC1. So if you're wondering what a kirtan is, um, which is happening at of Books and Gifts, uh, a kirtan is a call-and-response-style song or chant, usually set to music, where a singer or singers recite and describe a legend, express devotion to a deity or spiritual ideas. So it's storytelling to music, and I've been to one uh, before, and it's really, really entertaining. You don't have to chant along if you don't want to. You can just listen and uh, just take in the music. It's quite hypnotic, and uh, yeah, hopefully everybody will join in.
2: Yeah, I read that it was a bit like meditative.
1: Yes, yes. Yeah, I think it's like meditation storytelling to music.
2: Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Yeah.
1: For more information on Downtown Halifax Live and links to live stream the shows, visit downtownhalifax.ca slash live.
2: That's great. So in addition to these live music shows, there are many other bars and pubs hosting live music again in downtown Halifax. You can check out places like the Carlton, the Old Triangle, the Economy Shoe Shops, the Basement, the Pacifico, and more. So there's lots of options for live music in downtown Halifax right now. I kind of feel like it's back with a vengeance. Live music. Yeah, that's great. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the, and the establishments have their protocols, the safety yes. pro-
2: protocols in place. So mm-hmm. it's safe to go. It's very and safe. Enjoy yeah. some live you music to sit at your table. Yeah. You have to dance and sit at your table. Okay. Yes, you got to yeah. dance at your on your knees. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> and you can see these and more events and promotions on our online events and promotions calendar at downtownhalifax.ca/events. And if you are a business or an event organizer planning or hosting an event in downtown Halifax, email the information to us at info at downtownhalifax.ca, and we'll add it to our calendar. Next up, let's talk holidays. For those of you looking to plan or organize a small-scale event for the holidays, whether it is a dinner or a staff party, here are some suggestions. The Press Gang Restaurant and Oyster Bar has a private room that can be booked for dinner or an event. They're also able to safely host a socially distanced event for up to 75 people. Visit thepressgang.ca slash reservations for more information. The Pacifico Dance Club, which is now located at 5171 George Street, has a unique historic space and can host up to 45 people in semi-private areas with social distancing guidelines in place. Visit pacifico.ca slash event dash bookings for more information. The Old Triangle has their private upstairs bar and stage area called On Shanaki. They also have the pantry, which is a smaller space that would be great for a private dinner or smaller get together. Visit oldtriangle.com slash catering for more information. And the Carlton has a cozy private dining room that is situated in a parlor built in 1870. It can be booked for a sit down dinner or a small cocktail reception. For more information, visit thecarlton.ca and click on private functions in the menu. So, next, let's talk about the Evergreen Festival. Develop Nova Scotia, along with partners that include Discover Halifax, Tourism Nova Scotia, Spring Garden Area Business Association, and Downtown Halifax Business Commission, is curating a new holiday festival called the Evergreen Festival. Inspired by European-style holiday markets, this festival is scheduled to run from November 28th to December 21st, 2020. It will be dispersed throughout the waterfront, downtown, and spring garden area. And it will be a multi-week outdoor experience celebrating Nova Scotia's culture, food, spirits, craft and art, music performance, and more. There will be a stage on the waterfront with live music, movies, performances, and more. The Evergreen Market will be an open-air market on the waterfront with wooden chalets filled with local makers, producers, and artists. Restaurants and cafes will be offering evergreen soups and sips where visitors to the downtown area will be able to warm up with delicious soups and warm drinks that you can either grab and go or enjoy on a patio. And hotels are offering festive hotel packages that will make it easy for locals and visitors to stay for a single night or for an entire weekend of the festival. This is going to be a really exciting new festival for downtown Halifax, one that we hope will become an annual marquee event for the area. For more information on the festival and what is happening, you can follow at EvergreenFestNS on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or you can visit EvergreenFestNS.com for more information. And as part of the Evergreen Festival, downtown Halifax is participating in Spring Garden Roads Shopping Under the Stars, which is a two-night holiday shopping festival. This year, Shopping Under the Stars takes place on November 27th and December 4th from 5 to 10 p.m. And as part of this promotion, the pay-by-plate parking lots along the waterfront will be free both of those nights, along with many of the parkades and parking lots in the Spring Garden area. We are still finalizing participating businesses in the downtown area, but you can visit downtownhalifax.ca slash stars. And if you're a business in the downtown Halifax area that would like to participate, you can email me, alana at downtownhalifax.ca, for more info. And finally, our 2020 Downtown Halifax Holiday Gift Guide is almost ready and will be coming to a mailbox near you the week of November 16th. We've teamed up with the Spring Garden Area Business Association on the guide this year, and there are almost 80 businesses featured in the guide, along with some great gift ideas. So keep an eye out for that. And as we do every episode, let's talk about what we've all been up to in the Downtown Halifax area over the past few weeks.
1: Who wants to go first? Ivy? So I've been to... I think, too many places these past two weeks. Uh, My wallet is feeling it (laughs) because I've been going to
2: a little bit lighter. (sighs) Yeah,
1: my bank account is a little bit smaller. Um, But, yeah, I've been to uh, Scotia Square, Mm -hmm. lots of places there. I went to uh, do some early Christmas shopping at Cole's Bookstore and got some books for, for my son and Christmas cards already. I know it's... People will be judging me on that, um, but then I went to Dollarama because my husband wanted to be Mike Pence for Halloween, so oh, I yeah. bought a plastic fly for his hair, his <laughs> white hair. Idea. And I went to Korea Garden for some takeout glass noodles,
4: which were yes, delicious. Yeah, that's good.
1: And I had a hygiene appointment with uh, Scotia Dental, so I actually went to my dentist. That's so um, great. Yeah, so it's like a whole Square. day at Scotia Square. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I went to Decaris and uh, got a few things there for mm-hmm. my son. It's always for my son, and. Then layers, um, they are open uh, Thursday, Fridays, and Saturdays for drop-in and pickup orders. Mm-hmm. So I actually picked up an order uh, for our anniversary cake, and I think I shared some photos yeah. of my of the demise of the cake. Um, my office was a little bit too warm to store <laughs> cake. I found out, and it kind of slid. And yeah, but it fresh. was still delicious. Yeah, yeah, it was. Oh yeah, it was delicious. It was so yeah. good. Um, yeah, it was the cookies and cream cake, but mm-hmm. yeah, and to no fault of layers, it was not their fault, it was totally my um, mm-hmm. my bad, the cake just kind of got smushed. <laughs> <laughs> Happy anniversary! <Yeah. laughs> Last weekend we went on the Ambassador's family friendly ghost sale mm-hmm. on the Tall Ship Silva, and that was great. It was really fun, uh, but it was freezing cold so you have yeah. to bundle up if you're going to do another tour or any other tour mm-hmm. on uh, the Tall Ship Silva or any of Ambassador's boats. And then afterwards to warm up we went to the Blue Nose 2 restaurant and had a lovely dinner yes they're located on hollis street and then for burger week uh which is just finished up i mm-hmm. uh, went to the ville caffeine bar and had the bean and cumin sliders mm-hmm. so they were fantastic they were really good great and on the first day of sake when they opened uh we went there for lunch my friend and i mm-hmm. and uh they were really great too they're Pretty delicious. So that was on, yeah, 1645 Granville Street. That's great. You've done a whole bunch of stuff. Oh, I am not finished.
2: Oh, you're not even finished.
1: One last one Uh, Arthur's Urban Market. Yes, that's right. They are fantastic. I really like their place. Okay. Yeah. Um, A lot of people compare it to Pete's. Um, Mm -hmm. I could say that there's a lot of similar products, but a totally different vibe Mm -hmm. uh, and different products as well. So they have their own bakery. Yeah. And so I bought a a loaf of bread and some English muffins, Mm and they have. Everything so if you're you know you have to buy a few things for dinner uh, and you can don't have time to go to a grocery store or supermarket, mm-hmm. go to Arthur's.
2: I think it's a great addition to downtown. It
1: is, yeah. I, I think feel we like it's a very like uh
2: Toronto to have the sort of markets yeah. and the um the retail space in the condo buildings and it's kind of like makes it so convenient for people who live and work downtown and yeah, just run absolutely. and get the
1: stuff that they need. Yeah, yeah, I can see myself going there and just picking a few things
4: up for dinner. Nice, I'll have to go, mm-hmm. I haven't been there yet. Uh, what about you, Tori? Uh, I went to Pickford and Black for brunch with my yep. friends on Sunday, and we got the trays of Caesars, so you can try all four different types of their Caesars. Oh, and nice. They were it's like really, a flight really of good. Caesars? the flight of Caesars. It's so good. Wow. Um, and then I got a little skillet, so they have a bunch of skillets, and it's all really cheap, honestly, I thought. Mm. I was going to go there and spend a bunch of money, but it was really, really well-priced So mm. and delicious. So that was good. And really they have good. a great
2: view of the harbor. They have a there. great mm-hmm.
4: view. And it was a gorgeous day on Sunday. So we got to look out over the water and it was sunny. It was really nice. Um, I also recently have been going to Weird Harbor and La French Fix in the mornings to get a little snack and a latte. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a great way to start my day. I love it so much. <laughs> Their little matcha lattes from Weird Harbor are really, really good. Um, I also stopped in at Freak Lunchbox. Uh, My boyfriend loves Dr. Pepper, Mm -hmm. and they actually just came out with the Dr. Pepper cotton candy. So I went and grabbed him two things of that, and I'm going to ship it out to him um, in B.C.
2: Wow.
1: Yeah. Dr. Pepper, Pepper
4: cotton candy? Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> I can't even, like, like my teeth are
1: hurting. Just, well, yeah. Right? Yeah.
4: <laughs> right? <laughs>
1: but if but you like both things, then
4: why exactly, not together? Exactly. Exactly. And if you want a little sugar rush, um, just start your day. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> So I haven't been actually to a lot of restaurants lately, lately, but I've been sort of exploring the downtown a bit more. Um, I like to go over sometimes to the old burial ground, uh, and I was there recently, and it's such a nice time of year to go because the, the leaves have been really o- orange and gold this year, and they're kind of falling along the path. and. Some people might think it's a little bit spooky, but it's actually a really relaxing place to wander around during your lunch. And it's kind of nice to look at some of the gravestones. There's a lot of history there. They have like the information plaques that are up that you can kind of read about the burial grounds. And it's super quiet. If you're looking for a place where you can just go and sit for a minute and get some quiet, um, it's a great place to go. And I went to Taz Records recently. I'm also starting my holiday shopping and they had some new releases out, the Tom Petty Wildflowers and some of those other records that have been out. And I actually had to go twice I misread when they were coming so I went the first time I just wandered around looked at everything I love all like the the are they what are they bobblehead things called I can't remember now anyways there's they have so many different things and it's just fun to look around I think they are
1: bobbleheads yeah bobbleheads the dolls you mean yeah yeah,
2: yeah. the bobblehead dolls yeah Um, And then I popped into Maritime Hobbies and Crafts, which is also another great place to go. And I'm not much of a hobbyist or a crafter, but I really like puzzles now. My mom's really into puzzles, so I was just looking at their selection of puzzles for for the holiday season. And they have so many different types of puzzles. And, um, yeah, so I'll be back there for sure doing some holiday shopping.
1: Yeah, you've been to a lot of places as well.
4: Mm -hmm. Some different places. Yeah, different places. Everyone's starting their holiday shopping. I should get going. Yeah, I know. I can't
1: believe it's it's almost upon us.
4: (laughs) Um, Yeah, so that's it.
1: Great. That's
2: it for BizBuzz this week. Great. See you next awesome. time. This concludes Downtown Lowdown, Episode 36, recorded on October 29th, 2020. For more information, visit downtownhalifax.ca slash podcast. Please rate and subscribe to Downtown Lowdown. And don't forget to follow at Downtown Halifax on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for listening.